Welcome to another episode of Keeping It Simple. My name is Luis Sanchez. I'm the director of the Simple Church Collective and a host of the Keeping It Simple podcast. And I'm Scott Callantine, co-host of the podcast and resident of the Simple Church Collective. Thanks for joining us for this episode. Let's get started. Hey, welcome back to another episode. We are glad to be with you guys here in season three. Uh, we've got my co-host Luis. Say what's up. What's up? What's up? And we have another guest with us, Hugh Halter. You may remember Hugh from a previous episode we had with Hugh. Um, but if not, Hugh, can you go ahead and, and say what's up to our people and then give us just a brief backstory on uh, who you are, how you got here, and what's going on in your life? Yes, sir. Uh, Hugh Halter from Alton, Illinois, just north of St. Louis. Uh, been a church planter my whole life, I guess is the best way to say it. Um, never been paid from the gig. Uh, always felt fully called to, to ministry, but never made a full-time living from anything inside of it. Um, we'll talk a lot about that, but we planted a church in Portland, Oregon, then one in Denver, mostly networks of missional communities, uh, just normal people doing life and kingdom stuff together. But on this last uh, trip into Alton, we're now doing more like a kingdom ecosystem, um, building a business enterprise network, uh, incubator, and uh, also doing a lot of justice works in missional communities as a new form of doing church. And so we're going to be launching a, a national network called Brave Cities, which is going to be to equip apostolic leaders uh, to know how to build this out. So it's kind of like co-vocational bivo. 4.0, not just, you know, how do I work at Starbucks so I can preach on the weekends? This is rethinking the entire idea of what church is, mm -hmm. how it functions, and then being uh, the righteous people of God in our, in basically in struggling cities, trying to bring uh, a new sort of city to the cities that we live in. So hopefully we can dig into that a little bit. Yeah, we need that in Seattle. So we want to Keep us in the loop on that. We want to hear about that. And I think that uh, your friend and our friend, Jeff Vanderstelt, I think I've heard him mention that in the past before. So to some of our listeners who are not familiar with the story of Post Commons uh, and how you guys ended up in Alton, Illinois, can you guys just, uh, can you just tell me a little bit about that story and, and how you guys ended up there? Yeah, we would have never picked this town to live in. Uh, we were in Denver, so if you've been to Denver, you know there's no reason to leave it. Um, but our son was here in an assisted living center, and so my wife and I would fly in four or five times a year and visit him. And we were every time we'd come in, we were uh, taken by the beauty of the city, but also a lot of boarded up buildings. Uh, half the houses were slumlord owned. Average family incomes twenty two thousand. We just saw a lot of poverty. It's about half black, half white community just north of St. Louis. And um, we were intrigued by why uh, it appeared that it had lost so much of its revenue. There were beautiful homes, mansions everywhere, and yet it just looked bombed out. And, uh, and on one particular occasion, my wife, after dinner, we were talking to a waitress and she was pretty young. I said, uh, do you mind telling me what young people do in Alton? And she said, most of my friends just do drugs. And uh, so we chatted with her and leaving my wife, she was just standing there on the sidewalk. She's like, can we just move here and see if we can do something to help this town? And 
we got in a fight because I basically said, no way in Hades are we going to move here. <laughs> Love that. We'll, go back. we'll pray about it. We'll go back to Denver. We'll pray about it. And the next morning she was like, hey, can we talk about Alton? And uh, she asked me if I was praying about it. And I, I totally did a Rahab lie. I said, oh, yeah, I've been praying about it. And, oh, yeah. Uh, she said, so what's Jesus telling you? I was like, oh, he's telling us not to go. <laughs> and I remember she's like, wow, that is so weird. It's like, uh, it's like we have two Jesuses in our house. It's like, I feel like Jesus wants us to go and like do something. And so anyway, long story short, um, she and my two adult daughters and their brand new husbands all wanted to go. They wanted to do a big family mission together. And the thought that my kids wanted to do a mission with us was so amazing. I went along with this. We moved here had no idea what we were going to do. Um, I did not want to plant another church. To be honest with you, I was getting up in years. I'm 55 now. I was probably you know, just about 50 when we moved here. Yeah, but we knew we wanted to do something to bless or encourage the town. And uh, about six months in, a gentleman that I barely knew, I'd had one meeting with him. He basically gave me a building that he bought about a year and a half prior. It had been boarded up for 60 years. It was the old federal post office right in the middle of downtown, right next to City Hall, uh, mm -hmm. just three blocks off the Mississippi River. Wow. And, uh, and he gave it to me. He said, I feel like you're going to know what to do to help our city. Mm. Yeah, uh, so I had my daughters and wife walk through it with me and they were like, this is a no brainer, dad, let's just make the living room for the whole town. So at that point, there was no place you'd get a cup of coffee, 30,000 people, another 20,000 right around us. So really 50,000 people, no coffee shop, no daytime space, just mostly biker bars at night. So we set up, um, we called it post commons. Everybody knew it was the old post office, the old post. So we said, let's just make it a commons. And uh, so we've started an all-day brunch cafe. We have a, a, a roasting, coffee roasting company. We have a premier event space. We do weddings here almost every weekend. And then we built out a, a co-working space. And so we've become an incubator. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of micro businesses are a part of our ecosystem. So a lot of missionaries have started things that they think would matter. Um, we have an 80-acre uh, equine therapy farm. Um, we're about to purchase what we think is the largest house in Alton. It's a 15,000 square foot mansion. So there's no hotel space in our city. So nobody stays overnight here. So wow. we may be into the, the hotel gig here soon. We've got lots of neighborhood homes that are very incarnational in their neighborhood. Uh, we do some just pure justice works like a warming center. Uh, for homeless folks that are freezing to death in the winter. So, you know, so when we think about like um, an ecosystem, we're really going back to Old Testament where the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. So yeah, right. uh, the righteous mean uh, people that bring justice and mercy to a city. Yeah. So trying to live that out and go enterprise is at the center of God's mission. And so it's, it's, it is a way that we fund our missionaries. Mm. Um, but we're basically, they're making their income through an actual service to the city. Right. And so we essentially have decided it doesn't take a dime to do any ministry. You don't need a penny to do evangelism or to teach people scripture or to disciple a friend. 
or to care for somebody during a crisis. So all of the great works of the church can be done for free. So what that means is then we can all leverage all of our collected money and homes and resources, and we can start things that matter to the city. So that's essentially the ideology behind what we call brave cities, um, mm. building kingdom ecosystems to, to bless the city. And in that God builds his church. And so, uh, you know, we can talk maybe in another session or maybe a little bit now, but you know, a spiritual community around Jesus forms as you, as you bless the city that they I've shared the gospel with many, many hundreds of people in six years, just sitting here at the coffee shop because they come and they ask us about ourselves. They said, tell us more about why you've done this. And so I just, I don't know. I think it's the, um, it's where the wave is curling. The water is leaving the shore right now. It's forming a big tidal wave. And I think it's going to be God's reinvigoration of our cities with kingdom people. Uh, that start things that matter. So mm. I don't know if that's a decent framework. No, dude, that that totally makes sense. So for I came out of the um, prevailing church model. I was doing ministry for 13 years and drawing a paycheck from the church. And, and I, I kind of see and kind of feel like some people are like wanting to dip their toe in the water, but they still have this um, maybe apprehension or maybe just doubt like, Dude, like, if I go do this, like, how am I going to provide for my family, right? If I go, if I go, like, so can you just tell us, you know, what would you say to those people that are, like, wanting to take the jump but still have a little bit of apprehension, like, about, like, entering into bivocational, co-vocational work? What would you say to that person who's who's maybe drawn a paycheck from the church? Just random thoughts. First of all, um, remember when it talked about the the church would be hinged upon the apostle and the prophet that it's, it's kind of Jesus talking about. Um, and then Paul talks about later, you know, we say the apest leadership mm-hmm. typology, mm-hmm. God gives the church apostolic, prophetic, evangelist, shepherd, and teachers, right? Yep. yep. Five leadership gifts. Generally, if you're apostolically oriented, you're quicker to take those risks. Um, if you will, you'll, you almost like apostolic leaders tend to go, I don't, I don't know if it'll work out, but we got to do it. Right. Shepherding, teaching oriented people generally more hesitant. Doesn't mean you're a bad person or whatever, but just know that if you if you're given towards risk, you're generally more apostolic prophetic. Um, So some of your listeners will be like, yeah, I take a jump, whatever. Who cares? It'll work out. Other people are more calculated. They're more based on managing. That's the shepherd teacher thing. So I'd say if you're feeling hesitant, don't don't take the jump. Mm. Um, if you can take some income from a church, I say, take it, but you don't have to live into the church's, uh, job description. You can outsmart it too. I know a lot of people that they go, <laughs> my church just doesn't get it, but they love me. And I, I, uh, instead of spending 40 hours working on the weekend stuff, I just give it eight hours a week. And then I go do missionary stuff. So there's lots of ways to play that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for sure, don't just jump out thinking it's going to be easier and funner. Both of them are hard. It's very hard to be apostolic and to be entrepreneurial. You, in fact, it's way more costly at a personal financial level. It takes a long time. I still don't take a dime from any of the businesses we've started here. 
So I was just joking with you earlier, we've got to cut this thing pretty tight because I'm working a paint job right now, which has been sort of my side hustle for 30 years. Um, so, and by the way, I hate painting. If any of you right. painted how it's just right. sucks, yeah. you know, so right. I go, it's not easier or better or cooler to go create enterprise, but it's also, both of them are hard. If you take income from a church, you're under the expectations of that. If you take income from Starbucks, you're under some expectations, right? Yeah. So I think it's more, you have to decide where you, you know, what type of pain you want. You're either going to have your hard. Choose yeah. your hard. Mm. Yes, choose your hard. Great. So I love living like this. I, this is just so on a personal level. Cheryl and I have never, I've never had a job or a boss. I've never had a salary. So I never know more than four weeks ahead where any income is coming from. And, and we've, because of that, we've grown muscles of apostolicness. So I don't freak out if Cheryl says, hey, babe, you got any speaking coming up? Because the bills are due in four days. And I go, no, I got some stuff in six weeks. Then we kind of look at each other and wink and we pray. We beg God. And weird things have just happened over 30 years. So I'm also always working like a fix and flip home. So, you know. So we work a lot. If you're entrepreneurial, yeah. uh, you're not just sitting around having sabbaticals and working on sermons. Like, and I, I preach all the time. So, I, you know, a lot of times I'm on planes speaking at other churches, but I've learned I can work on that sermon on the plane mm. and then put in 60 hours back in Alton, work in other people's businesses or work in my own. So if you love that sort of yeah. hodgepodge, like I have nine streams of income. And usually seven of them aren't working, but two of them are, you know, I still have some donors that will call me and just give me money. Sometimes it just weird stuff happens. But if you're apostolic, you go, that's the life I want to live. And you'll generally be more entrepreneurial, be easier for you. Uh, my wife's also pretty risk-taking. So as a marriage, we've been able to manage that, but I would never say to somebody where you go, man, both my wife and I'd be freaking out then you might need to stay in the house for a little bit longer or uh, nuance it over two or three years, like build your way there, if you will. Yeah. Gold, mm. like such gold. Yeah. If you need to like press pause and replay that, <laughs> go for it. Um, I read most of your book, Bivo. Um, I listened to a couple of other podcasts that you've been on and things, and you've seemed to made some distinctions between like the, we're bivocational, co-vocational. You talk about this ecosystem. Can you make some distinct distinctions for us um, so that we, one, kind of understand the terminology a little bit more? And then through that, where do you see the church right now and where are we going in this way? That's a great question. Um, Brad Briscoe has a, a great book called Co-vocational. He does a way better job than me. He's a very good friend. We joke about how I had the Bible book and then he makes a Kobo book and it's, a, it's actually a better concept, but he would say it this way. Bible would be, you're working in a traditional church setting, but you're making part of your income outside of that church. So that would be, again, the person working at Starbucks to support their, their traditional church plant, or maybe they have a small rural church and the church just can't afford everything. So they're, they're working out in the fields, bailing hay, you know, so that'd be Bible. 
co-vocational would be um, a little more intentional. You're choosing intentionally not to take a paycheck from uh, essentially the tithing dollars of a traditional congregation. You're instead, based on the mission that you're in, you're choosing that you feel like you would connect with a culture better if you had more of a public uh, you know, profile in the business zone. Um, that would be more like probably you guys, you're choosing, now, if and here's why we say it's it's all completely different. If if somebody like me had millions, and I went, hey guys, I don't want you to work so hard. Here's a couple million. Like you would take that, right? You should take that. Like yeah, you, I'm gonna yeah, take take from anywhere at any point. You take For the sure. money, but you may still uh, keep your job in the world because you want to sell your stuff out of your food truck because of how you connect. So co-vocational is more of the strategy of being out in the world Mm. and how you nuance the finances and the connection with people. The third jump might be what we're doing, which is where you're creating an intentional business network, not only to, uh, support the missionaries in your movement, but also, uh, to have, stuff left over to help other people and to help the city. So it'd be a little bit more of a city transformation. Mm. Um, and I'd say none of them are better or worse. And the, the fourth option was the old option. You take your full income from an existing church. The reason why that I think is going away is because church is going away. Mm. So, when, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a Hugh Halter thing. That's just stats is uh, we will be as unchurched as the UK, Canada, Portland, Oregon, Australia, we think in about 15 years, which means the business model of, of growing congregations that then tie that then support the staffing as a business model that cannot sustain. There will maybe always be a few mega churches that can hang around and do that, but the predominant business model of growing churches is, is it's not growing. So that model goes away. So what we're saying is that our way is not better. Bibo is not better than fully paid at a church. It's just you have to decide based on the missional or the mission field that you're on, what's the best missiological economic model for you. So remember the apostle Paul, he said for you guys, it was a very specific culture. He said, for you guys, I decide to work amongst you so as not to be a burden. And other times he's raising money for another local church expression. Right? So that's Paul, the missionary going, no, that context, I got, I need to work and not be a burden to this. Um, and I feel like as our, as our, all of our contexts become more pure missionary contexts, that will again mean that we're going to have to take a missionary form of funding, which to me is a, a multiple. It's like what I talk about in Bible, it's having four or five buckets of income. Yeah. There's some donor, there's some church funds, there's some Starbucks funds, there's some whatever for, for me, it's, you know, it's ended up being a little speaking funds. It's some publishing funds it's um painting funds it's um i mentioned pure donor funds it's my wife working real estate that's another fund um it's a fix and flip that's another source of income um so that that just gives you an idea of what those differences are um you know in our setting at 55 i still have no retirement um, would I love to build our ecosystem up to where maybe I could take some of this as a retirement? Yeah. So all those are in play, but as of yet on year six, 
I'm still where Paul's at. I've decided to not be a burden. So that's why I'm out painting a house today. That's the way I can make income and not be a draw on the ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. Love it, man. And I love that all of this kind of goes back and is grounded in scripture. It's grounded in uh, the missiological outlook of the early church. Um, you, you mentioned something um, earlier, and, and, and it's the first time I've ever heard these two words put together. You said pure justice works. And I want to tie that back to, and correct me if I'm wrong, I want to tie that back to um, the work of um, just being missional and incarnational. Um, can you break that down exactly? And then how does that connect the pure justice work? Like, because that costs money, right? Like, and so where's that money coming from? And so, yeah, well, Again, like, like in our setting, um, the warming center here in Alton, that's run by a, a girl that's essentially on our staff. She's been able to raise support. She was actually raising support with the uh, university, the local university. So she brought her support over. So she's fully funded. Um, and so she does do that. She leads that warming center ministry. And it doesn't cost much at all. It's a local church provides space, and then uh, Kristen organizes all the volunteers. Um, so pure justice, and that is not a like some people will come into our ecosystem and go, look, I'm not really a business person. I just would, I just want to have a, a house, a neighborhood incarnational home. We go awesome. That that fits. Other people like Kristen go. I also I don't want to run a coffee shop or start a tire company. I want to go work with the homeless. And somehow that's been funded through personal donors and through 60 volunteers that all give a few bucks and that covers food. So, um, and then there's probably a third of our network. They're all completely business oriented. Um, so their way of trying to bless the city is to create things that happen. So that's why I think the ecosystem provides, it's almost like you have a menu of options, mm. but one of your options isn't to just go to church on the weekend and then do whatever the heck you want with your money. We actually, it's a collective community here where there is some, uh, there's some peer pressure to do something that matters to this town. And if it costs money, then let's figure it out. If it doesn't cost money, great. Excellent, man. Love it. By the way, it's, there's times where we might make money in one of our deals and that's how we help the warming center. So that's why the, again, the ecosystem idea is sometimes uh, you're supporting other works with inside that ecosystem. So. Man, Hugh, thank you for like the, the interview with us and talking bivocational and co-vocational. And I feel like we just got started. I feel like this conversation needs a part two. But yeah, and and and, 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 I, and I think and, and three and four and I, and, and I think Hugh um kind of signed himself up. He says maybe on another episode or something. I think I go yeah. rewind the tape. We can I get think him he back. signed himself back up. Yeah, we can we can get him back. But um, the idea that business is mission, which can well one can you maybe explain that kind of terminology? It it seems very similar to the ecosystem stuff you're talking about. Could you then can you give us like an awesome success story, like just something that would be really encouraging to our people who are listening and contemplating. And do I go into this co-vocational life or, or bivocational or, you know, I work a full-time job and, you know, I want to submit to the Lordship of Jesus, but how does that look in my community? And what do I do when I clock off of my regular job, my 40 hour a week job, and I step into something else? Mm -hmm. Could you give us an, like an awesome, encouraging success story? 
Let's go back to the business's mission thing. Um, remember the Christian Yellow Pages thing, where like you could be a Christian business and you put your fish on your the fish sign on. <laughs> I don't remember that's that. When, that's when you think business is for for mission. Hmm. So I'm a Christian person running my flower shop, and we know that that's not been basically a positive story. Um, what we push for is that business is actually the mission. Yeah. So business is gospel. Yeah. The reason why we say that, again, it goes back to that passage that we referenced that where the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Historically speaking, like we have a motto that we live by that was the Benedictine model. So they were all the cloistered orders, remember, Jesuits, Franciscans. But the Benedictines or what we call the modern day Trappists, they had their motto was Ora et Labora, which meant the prayer to pray is to work. And to work is actually the prayer. So they were the only enterprise order. Every other order begged for money, just like the modern day church. Uh, but the, the Benedictines, they made money. Uh, by the time of the Reformation, we think they owned a third of the land in England and the UK. So um, a lot of people think it was the enterprise order, the Trappists, that actually secured the way of the gospel. Um, but that, to me, that's... that's as business as as the mission, right? They went, they were cloistered, but they would not leave the town. They would find the main streets and they would go, what's this town need? And everybody needed water that was so that's why in any city today you can always find the Trappist beer joints, right? They were the ones that uh they would brew beer so that people would have something safe to drink. Then they would take the spent grain and make bread for the whole town. A lot of the a lot of the city centers where you have those city markets, we think actually originated with the Trappists because they had all the stuff that people need. So then other people would bring the eggs and the vegetables. Uh, but they basically uh, the business was the mission. Um, that's what blesses. So you would want them to do well, because when they did when those Christians did well, man, they they bless the heck out of our whole town. And all of a sudden people begin. So they became the evangelistic centers. If you I mean, and and they did business well, like because that Trappist beer is good, right? They didn't put out a bad product; they put out a good product. As opposed to Budweiser here in St. Louis, yeah, <laughs> right. it was good beer. It was handcrafted. Um, yeah. So, like when people come in into Post Commons, they go, "So, what are you guys really doing?" Like, I heard this is weird. I go, "Well, we're like a Neo Trappist order," and that just freaks them out more. But then I explain <laughs> it to them is that. Uh, yeah, we're trying to start things that matter to people. Um, there, Beautiful. you know, I'll, maybe we'll end with a story, but this would be a typical, maybe not every day, but it's, it's the way we see the movement of people spiritually is there's a young gal, you know, this was probably three years ago. Our pastry selection was terrible. Mm. Learning coffee, whatever. So we find this gal down at the local market and she's trying to sell her pastries. And um, I said, Hey, our pastries suck. Would you ever think about doing our stuff? And she's like, yeah, let's have a meeting. So we met, she told me that she had been off meth for about six years. Her and her husband were just trying to get started. She wanted to be a baker. And I said, well, what do you need? Uh, and she said, well, I need a commercial kitchen to work out of to be legal. And I said, well, hey, how about you just bake all your stuff out of our kitchen? We close our kitchen at 2 o'clock every day so you could do whatever you want in the afternoons. And it's interesting, her husband, even though I was offering all this, he looked really defensive. And I finally said, are you okay? And he's like, well, 
goes, I Googled you. I'm like, well, what do you find? He's like, well, you're a Christian. And I said, well, don't put me in that camp, but yeah, I've, Jesus is a big deal to me. And uh, I said, will that be a problem? He said, it always has been a problem. And I said, well, can you take a risk with us and just, we just want to help you guys. And he said, well, what percentage of our profits are you going to take? And I said, how about 20%? And he was really surprised. I guess the going rate was 50-50. So he said, that'd be amazing. So we started our relationship. And then our team, our missionaries, we meet every Tuesday morning and we just pray and talk about what God's doing. We were praying and our coffee manager said, I don't feel like we're loving her enough. Like we need to help them more. And I was like, well, we're hardly taking any of their profits. Like, what do you, he's like, could we take 10%? And we just, we literally prayed about it as a team and we felt like let's just take a risk. So we called him back in and said, we want to change the business arrangements. Her husband throws up his hands. He's like, I effing knew it. And I'm like, no, like, and I said, Hey, by the way, remember that Jesus stuff you were all freaked out about? We, and I told him every Tuesday, we actually go talk to Jesus. And, and you came up and we felt like we weren't loving you like we should. And he got really quiet. She got really quiet. He's like, well, what do you mean? It's like, I don't know. Are you, I, and I told him, I said, it's a risk for us. We're hardly making any money, but we're, we'd like to just take 10%. And we'd like to help you with your marketing a little bit more. We think we can uh, help you do a better job with that. And, you know, she starts to cry. She's like, why in the F would you do this for us? And I just said, it's, it's for us, the why is Jesus. For other people in our network, they don't, they're, they're like you guys. They don't believe in Jesus. But we think that he cares about your life, how you've come out of the meth addiction. We think he really wants you to succeed. And we want to do all we can to help you. Well, they obviously, the relationship went really, really well. And uh, at a Christmas banquet the next year, she just told us, she said, you guys are my family. She, she said, you made it almost impossible not to believe in God. Mm-hmm. And moved into a lot of conversation about the Lord. So to us, that's maybe a, a story of why enterprise and business are so central to the gospel, what the opportunities are, and, uh, and also what the costs are. Uh, to do that. But I don't know if there's going to be much left other than that type of story 10 years from now, because they're, they're not coming to our churches. Yep. They're not impressed with our political movement. Yep. <laughs> they're not impressed with what they think our leaders are politically or spiritually. Uh, we're getting exposed at every level that we got the same issues of sin and yep. sexual cover up. So yep. our only shot is to help people. <laughs> And then see if they have some sense of respect to hear our story. So loving people. Well, man, appreciate you. Thanks for taking the time, Hugh, as we land the plane here. Um, any parting words and potentially like how can people connect to you and your work? Um, can you point us in that direction? You know, um, I would, I think you can go, we're just setting it up. Bravecity.com, bravecities.com. I think you can go register your name, but we're going to start kind of unveiling a book called Brave Cities, probably in about four months that kind of defines what a kingdom ecosystem is, how it operates all the way through how to church it up, how a church begins to form from this. So if you're interested in that, maybe uh, put your name down on that and then we'll be in contact as we roll out some resources for that. 
Bless you, Hugh. Uh, thanks so much for taking this time. And if you guys were blessed by this, uh, go sign up uh, at bravecities.com. If you have any questions, feel free uh, to reach out to us. Uh, God bless you, man. Peace. Blessings, guys. Take care. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you'd like to support us more, check out our podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash keeping it simple podcast. If not, we'd love your support through subscribing, sharing episodes, and liking and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes to come.